Roadmen, today I want to talk to an ordinary man with an extraordinary story. It's Connor Griffin. Let's cue that intro! The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Connor Griffin, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be on. Great to be back, you mean. Great to be back, yeah. yeah. I'll <laughs> let you explain that longer. So, so it's, I'll hold my hands up. The microphone suffered a bit of damage in transit from Girona, and we recorded this interview uh, last week, and I went to edit it, and it was just, it was like you're a robot. It wasn't possible to say, but it was a lot of robotic sounds. So Connor has kindly agreed to come on and have an identical conversation with me for the second time. <laughs> yeah. uh, Connor, a lot of stuff. Uh, I, some of the stuff we're obviously going to touch on the same, but I've no notes from last day, so we're just going to go in all sorts of weird angles. But to start out, I suppose, some context, because you're the first non-professional writer on the Roadman Cycling Podcast. You're not a phd in sports physiology or exercise physiology or a physiotherapist for a world tour team or a nutritionist or any of those other sort of guests we've had what's a phd <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you do nine to five uh nine to five what i meant to do is uh i work in sales uh, i sell truck parts sell truck parts. so why is a man that sells truck parts on the podcast, you're probably wondering <laughs> at this point. Connor, for, for the record, can you state what category of a bike rider you are? I'm in the premium sought after A4 category. So for the international listeners, that is category four. Don't let the A confuse you there. That it's just been some sort of rise to the top. <laughs> in fact, we've, the tried to category. we've tried to dress it up over here in Ireland, yeah. Why have they done that? Like A4, A3, A2, A1, all over the rest of the world, it's just... Cat four, cat three, cat two, cat one. When I started, actually, it was a better system, and I'm going to go back to this. You used to call it A, B, C, D. So you're a D. <laughs> you're a D at times as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what's brilliant about this story, and um, why I love it, it was prompted by a post that Connor had on social media that kind of just caught my attention, and. We hear the World Tour riders every week and they do, you know, spectacular things or, you know, they ride home from the Dauphiné or some mad stuff. But they're pro bike riders. They're meant to do this spectacular stuff. Well, your story is super interesting. You're a category four guy who is a salesman selling truck parts. You're not meant to do crazy, spectacular stuff, but yet you have. You went and you decided to complete an Everesting. What was the motivation behind that? And also, congratulations. Thank you very much. Because I don't think I said that in the last podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It was grueling. Uh, What was the motivation behind it? Um, I suppose it started last last year over here in Ireland. We obviously were going through, same as anywhere else, the pandemic and the lockdowns. And we had no racing. So there was no real motivation to do. You know, the motivation obviously dipped. Um, so one of my club mates has done one before and I kind of always said it, yeah, I'd love to do an Everest, but I never really said it out loud. 
So stupidly in an email to Sean one weekend, I said, man, I think I'd love to do an Everest. And sure, once I said that, I put it out there. He was like, yeah, dog with a bone. Let's get on this. Let's make it a good year. So for context, Sean McKenna is one of our coaches at Roadman and Connor's working with him. Sorry for the interjection there. So, yeah, so I said it to him. He just jumped on straight away. He was buzzed to do it or buzzed to get me to do it. <laughs> he, he definitely wasn't buzzed <laughs> to do it. No, no, I didn't see him. There were too many meters on the day. Um, so, yeah, so unfortunately it didn't happen last year just with the, with the regional lockdowns and that. Um, so we just put it on the back burner and said, yeah, we'll build up over the winter break towards it. And uh, we did. And there, two weeks ago, so what are we, end of June now? So yeah, started start of June, uh, the 6th of June is when I when I got it done, was the D-Day. Um, what's trend, like I always find with a big distinction between coached and uncoached athletes, I think is this idea of putting a goal in the diary and then starting to fine tune everything as we move towards that goal. When I chat with friends who are uncoached, they have kind of vague stuff like get faster, do better, beat Johnny to the top of the hill. You know, Johnny could have been on the piss for the last month. And now you beat him to the top of the hill. Like this is not something to pat yourself on the back about. Johnny's an alcoholic, but they're the sort of vague goals we set. But it's brilliant, I find, when you move over to being coached, you put these concrete goals down and then because when you're balancing work social life family all this other stuff around it you can't live like a monk 365 days a year but the goal allows you to just tighten up that lifestyle a little bit as you get closer to the goal and then ease off as you get the far side of it did you find that yeah absolutely absolutely and i suppose being coached it takes obviously the guesswork out of it um I, I, I won't say some of the things I suggested Sean might tell you, but coming up to it, like, I was like, right, Sean, I think I should do this. And I think I should do this in preparation. He's just like, no, you mad, man. There's no need to. Uh, so, yeah, ha- having that coach in there, you know, obviously takes the guesswork out. It's also accountability, you know, because you're kind of, you set this goal out and you have a couple of bad weeks or a couple of bad days or busy in work, or busy in life or, shit weather or whatever and you know he's checking in on you so it's like right yeah i gotta get out on the bike i gotta get the hour and a half two hour session done whatever it is during the week and well isn't that the thing i was reading a a quote somewhere and it was like commitment is doing what you said you do long after the mood you said it in has left you (laughs) like i thought that's brilliant because it's like every single person that watches rocky leaves the theater thinking (laughs) Like, oh, I'm going to be a boxer. <laughs> and well, that, yeah, that, that, that sums up my Everest because I was like, I'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> and then he he took it on. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're going to do it. Here's it, how we're going to do it. It makes it happen because we've had riders come in and Sean's worked them actually. Uh, one of the guys that wanted to do Dirty Kansas. And like it's 200 mile off road. It's 14 hours for the pros, I think. So it's, you can imagine for amateurs, it's anything from... 15, 15 hours to 25 hours but you when you say something like that you say it in a mood like because you've just watched dirty kansas or our friends talked about it, and you kind of romanticize it but you don't have an idea of the hardship you have to go through to get to it but when you say it and you verbalize it to a coach and you stick it in the diary the rest of it's just nearly joined the dots it's just follow out the session he has planned for you every day to take yeah. you to that 
And what I haven't chatted to Sean on it. What's your sort of compliance with training sessions? Like, are you a lad who does all your training sessions, or are you a lad who starts moving your rest day to you know, um, later in the week and stuff? No, well, the fact that you just told me you haven't spoke to Sean, I can say whatever the hell I want. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, I do them one hundred percent. I am probably. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the best uh, yeah, guy he has that he's coaching at the moment. Pretty sure he said that. No, I, I'd, I'd be pretty good. To be fair, I would. I'd be pretty good. Uh, I'm going to say that. I have you know, it's five, five days out of seven on the bike, two days rest days. Um, so obviously shit comes up. You get an ad hoc meeting that you weren't planning. So you have a bit of wiggle room. I'll change my rest day there. But yeah, I think, I, I think I'm pretty good with my training. So how does a how does a man that's balancing work and also you know you're in your early years your cycling career and you know we joked about the A four but it is an introductory category and it's one you're definitely going to gravitate up to categories as the years go past but you're very much in the early phase of your cycling career and you're so you're balancing something that's relatively new with work with girlfriend what does training look like for you on a week to week basis? Uh, it's during the week. It's three sessions during the week, Monday to Friday. Um, so it's 90 minutes, maybe an hour and a half, two hours session. Um, and then Saturday, much to say, maybe again, two hours. And then Sunday, the club spin. So that's three, four hours getting the endurance in. But uh, it depends. Yeah, it depends what kind of phase you're going through. Um you know, I suppose building up to the Everest, it was kind of a lot of uh, strength work and then coming up to it, some VO2 max sessions and then tapering off and just being ready for it. And then changing it up, get back into the race and getting the leg speed up, getting the sprint sessions back in. And it's amazing how if anyone hasn't like had gone through that build-up phase, build-up phase, build-up phase where you're completely fucked and you're thinking, I'm not even going to get through this event. And then you stick a taper into it it's amazing how much you freshen up. Like people are always looking for, you know, it's, it's Sven Tuft was on last week's podcast and we were talking about just marginal gains. And he was saying, guys are coming to him all the time with, you know, I'm looking at these new wheels for 4,000 euro that are 50 grams lighter and stuff. And people just want to spend money and they want to ignore the glaring massive gains you can make in other areas. His massive gain, he was saying, was body weight. But another huge gain that's free, it's a taper. It can give you 15 to 20% extra on race day or event day. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's that's where when you haven't studied cycling or you haven't gone through all the categories and grades and the, you know, the, the life of cycling or the success of cycling like yourself or Sean have done. So that's the joy of having him there just telling you what to do and kind of Obviously, I, I want to learn what I don't want to just get out and oh yeah, my Garmin tells me to go that hard for five minutes and then rest and go hard again for five minutes. Obviously, I want to know right, why am I doing this? What's the benefit? But it definitely helps having him tell you, you know, instead of trying to figure it out yourself. It's funny because some writers just don't care. Like I had Ryan Mullen on the podcast and we were talking about you know chronic training load, acute training load, and he's just like I don't I don't know I don't know what any of this is. Like I just get my session, I look at it like a menu like i'm baking a cake and i say well this is what i have to do and it's just boom 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 that's someone else's job they plan it i do it they're different jobs but then there's other athletes who really want to intimately understand 
like what is the purpose of this session? How does this micro cycle fit into the macro cycle? Where is this in my long term plan? And it's I think it's horses for courses with it. Why Everest? Why not? You know, north to south, Malin to Mizzenhead. Why not? You know, three hundred k in a day. Why? What What was it about Everest that captured your imagination? Um, I, th- I suppose uh, Everest. Anyone who's looked into it or you know thought about it, it's it's just a weird. It's a fascination. Um, I, I, I don't really. It's just. It's so it's so brutal. It seems so. I think on the website it's so so friendlessly brutal or something is what they name it, um, and it is like you know it's so simple. There's no, uh, there's no great working out of it. It's literally pick a hill right up and down it a number of times until you reach the same elevation as Everest. Like it's so simple. And how so, do you map it? Because I've never looked into it. Is it you literally have your Garmin out and you're just looking at the meters ticking by? Or have you worked this out all in advance? Oh, yeah. Well, like, pick your hill. So, um, luckily, I I kind of went around looking at a couple of different hills. The first one I looked at was the one I ended up doing it on. Do you know normal but people go around looking at houses and stuff on the weekend? People <laughs> go around looking at hills. <laughs> well, I was going on to Strava. Like, I wasn't necessarily riding them all. Uh, it, was, it was the lazy way. Just go on Strava and Google Maps and see, what's that gradient? What's the surface look like? But the first one I looked at was the one my club mate did it on um, two years ago. And that's the first one I looked at. And then I kind of played around and it, I just brought back to that one and said, that's, that's perfect. It's ideal. The gradient, the surface, the visibility on it, the shelter. Um, it kind of had a bit of, bit of everything. It ticked all the boxes. So is there an ideal optimum gradient for it or is that just preference? Yeah, again, I suppose it's preference. Like I'm... Well, I say I'm. Uh, I think I'm a light rider. I, I'm a pretty small guy, um. So, kind of st- well, eight and a half percent. I suppose when you're doing fifty three times, it's steep enough. So it's eight and a half percent, two k, and so you can kind of you can get up it in a in a nice tempo. You're never really going into the red zone, but fifty three. It's it's relatively low amount of reps, um. I know some like some hills you go a shorter one you have to do it 70 80 90 times so that just takes over the head it's like god i've cycled something 70 80 yeah. times that's cruel whereas if you only have to do a 53 there's the other side of it that you go a real long climb and you only have to do it maybe 10 15 times but we but don't have too many of them in ireland either but like i wonder for the record because uh, i know i've had ron on the podcast and talking about his record but are you not better off with a straight up just long climb? So you're not taking the extra time for the descent because it's meters climbed. So going downhill, you're obviously climbing zero meters, but you are getting that rest, I suppose. Yeah. So it's it's kind of finding the balance that you want. I know Ronan's climb was like 14%. So he was up, you know, that was a big VO2 effort as well, well at the pace he was doing it. And then he was descending at 100 110k an hour whereas mine was a bit more gradual so you weren't pushing yourself into the red and then i didn't really want to come down it too quick either like you know i wanted my bit of rest by coming down and especially later on into the effort that you weren't coming down something at crazy pace either because i wrote uh alto de letras uh, allegedly the longest climb in the world there at 
New Year's over in Colombia. And like, it's horrific. It's like the guts of 80 kilometers straight uphill. But like the thoughts of me getting to the top of that and then turning around to do it again, like I was cooked. I have pictures up on my Instagram accounts. People can check them out. It's on roadman.cycling. And it's just like, I'm on the ground just spent at the end of it. Like, I mean, it's actually, it's, it's funny because I was with two lads, one's a Colombian and one's a Costa Rican. And like, I'm roughly 80 kilograms these days. The lads were 61, 62 kilograms max. And, you know, they're not pros, but they're very good amateurs. And one of them had been pro back in the day. And like, I rode the first, I think, four hours with the lads. And I was coming apart so badly, <laughs> you had no idea. Because I set out like it was a training ride. Like I got a handlebar bag on. I think I had one bottle of water or something with me. The lads were popping gels. I was like, what the fuck is going What's on? What's going here? on here? We're out for a bit of sightseeing cycle. And yeah, four <laughs> hours in, I was like coming apart. I can feel the cramps starting to come. And I was like, oh, yeah, lads, I'm going to stop and take a few pictures. He was head on, I catch you in a fit. I had to stop on the side Meanwhile, of the road. Meanwhile, you're capitulating on the side of the road. Oh, man, it was horrific. So when I think of Everest, I get post-traumatic stress disorder instantly. It just feels such a difficult ask. And I think some of it is, obviously, we touched on the physical side and you getting ready with Shaw and your coach. But a huge aspect of that must have been mental. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's where, you know, that, that's where the people, people around you, you know, training buddies, club mates, friends, family, that, that they come into it as well. Because I, to be fair, I got a massive amount of support on the day. I didn't actually plan on getting that much support. I had kind of a couple of the guys lined up to come out. Uh, the girlfriend was there for the day. Uh, she was the swanny for the day and nutritious, nutritionist and the water carrier, everything else. Um, but yeah, club mates, I think 17 of them throughout the day rode out and did a couple of reps with me and cheered me on. So, you know, that, that perks you up and you get a couple of hours out of that and then you get a bit of a slump and you see someone new and you perk up again, you know, and then the jersey change. Um, I actually told a couple of friends because a couple of friends are thinking they're, or they are going doing uh they're on. They're actually doing a group Everest uh, this week. So I was telling These them about club, clubmates. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so they're, uh, yeah. So they're, so they're looking at doing it Thursday, weather dependent Thursday or or this coming weekend, um, for a charity. So it's, it's pretty good. So I think this podcast is going to come out on Wednesday. So best of luck, lads. Best of luck, lads. Uh, so yeah, so so they came out um, and yeah, it was it was cool. The, the jersey change is actually a funny thing. Uh, that was one of the kind of mental tricks I had planned for myself. So I've kind of a couple of nice jerseys, you know, that just feel good in, and that you kind of when you put it on. And one of them, I'm not just saying it is the roadman jersey because <laughs> I don't know, like. I presume if you're listening to it, you might know it, you might not. It's a pink jersey, you know. It's pretty fucking peacock like, and <laughs> there's there's a bit of element that. If you wear it to a club ride, you better be on form because if you turn up in a pink jersey and you get dropped on the first climb... Yeah, it's not a good know, look. No, no. So uh, I had that. Had a, our, I had a really nice jersey I got for my birthday and then um, another club jersey. It's amazing the morale boost and effect, though, of changing your kit. Like It's a trick I used to use on long rides or wet rides where if you had a, lucky enough to have a car with you on a ride, you do three hours... And you change into fresh kit, and it's like you're changing into fresh legs. 
it's like you're restarting the ride again. It's like a new ride. Yeah. So that's that's what I did. I had three jerseys planned, and every time we got into a, a new jersey, it just felt like I was setting restart, and I was going from zero, and that I didn't have three thousand meters of climbing in the legs already. Like it's it's insane. So that, that's the kind of that's the mad thing about the, you know the Everest challenge or any endurance challenge really. It's just you're actually so strong. You just need to tap into it, and you need to trick yourself and. You know, it really is mind over matter. Yeah, and a lot of time when we we've no idea where our limit is because so few of us have ever pushed past that when you think you're at a hundred percent, you're at about twenty percent. You have so yeah. much more to go. Like the human body is just an amazing machine at overcoming adversity. Like you have millions of years of genetic programming to overcome this stuff, but we're just getting so lazy and soft. <laughs> uh, like Sven Tuff find the easy week, way out. Uh, Sven Tuff last week was on a mad one about people being soft and He's telling me crazy. Like he's just someone who loves hardship and the wilderness and the wild. And he just thinks we're a Xbox society that's just <laughs> getting, you know, eroded and muscle atrophy by the day. Uh, you mentioned nutrition and your girlfriend playing a key role in nutrition. What does nutrition look like? Are you getting hand ups every the descent for me looks like an obvious place to grab something at the top and eat it on the descent? Yeah, absolutely. So every time I came up, so she had a mapped out. It was uh, 60 grams of carbs every hour and then eating every half an hour. So it was eating 30 grams or whatever way mixed up. So she had the different foods mixed out. So didn't get bored of eating one certain thing. Loads of rice cakes. Look, I'd never want to see a rice cake again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's basically just right up. And after half an hour, stick out the hand. She gave me a rice cake or whatever it was. and just stuffed it in my mouth, ate it going down. And again, that's that comes back to the hill as well, the choo- <clears throat> choosing the hill. Because if you have something technical, you obviously need two hands on the bars. If you have something, you know, fourteen percent, it's hard to eat. Again, with taking a hand off the bar, so the eight and a half percent wasn't too bad. And you, you want to have a down. finish by the bottom, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you need a bit. You know, the two k was was pretty good. I could I could eat it. Um, but yeah, it was kind of so that that was that was the nutrition for most of it. And so what were we having? Rice cakes, bananas, dates. Rice cakes, bananas, and then she makes a lot of uh, a lot of nice bars, like these trek bars, bike bars, and um, energy nice. balls. So I I couldn't tell you what's in them to be honest, because I have no concepts in nutrition <laughs> or culinary skills, but. They're good, and uh, I will post her up some sometime. Um, but yeah, so she uh, she had that kind of mapped out. Um, I didn't actually I didn't consume a gel at all um, throughout the day. I had one bowl of pasta near the end, where I, well I tried to eat pasta, I could barely feed myself. But uh, yeah, but the pasta near the end, and then a packet of crisps. A packet of crisps. That's it. Oh no. Prong cocktail walkers. <laughs> okay, so that that is the secret. Walkers are a Protestant secret. crisp as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> jeez, I, yeah, we need to re-record this podcast. So after me saying that, fuck, <laughs> I don't know who's going who's going to be hate more, me or you, for letting me on it. <laughs> so, what what is the biggest challenge of this? If someone's looking at doing it right now, is the biggest challenge. The physical preparation for it, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, balance and work and family around training. There's the mental element to this, and then there's the logistic elements. Can you put your finger on and say, that is the 
most difficult part or that's that's the key to success of it yeah i'd say probably somewhere between the mental and the and the nutrition the nutrition was was is obviously a massive thing like um i don't know if this is right but i, I said it to the lads you know obviously you, you get nervous coming up to these things you know again am i fit enough oh god no maybe i need to leave it another week maybe i need to leave another month another block training whatever it is um, I should have went harder last week. I should have went easier, all this thing. But I think if you're contemplating doing an Everest, you're fit enough to do an Everest. Because, uh, call it spade a spade, no disrespect to anyone, but someone who just starts cycling yesterday, they're not thinking about an Everest. They probably don't know what an Everest is. So if, if you're of that, uh, you know, fitness level or um, experience level that you're talking about doing an, an Everest, you're fit enough to do it but isn't that a great thing for people to take because i know there's so many guys that come out and we have a saturday morning ride we need to drag you across to it um, need to get on that, yeah. roadman group ride on a saturday and it's a lot of the guys it's a very mixed group because you could have anyone from a you know pros coming out to like complete beginners and i mean just a couple of sportifs under their belt but we're finding now a lot of those guys who started sportifs maybe you know just before lockdown they're getting fitter and fitter on training plans and just coming out. And they're at the point now where they're thinking, maybe I'll try an A4 race. Will I try my first A4 race? And that's such a great piece of advice for them. If you're thinking about, if you're at the point where you're starting to think about it, just go and do yeah. it. Yeah. I, th- I think your mind is, uh, you know, playing tricks on you after that. You're just, if you're thinking about it, just get in, do it. What's the worst that can happen? You and know, the hill will be there. Go back at it again if you fail the first time. You know, all you're going to do is take experience and it's good training, right? It's good fitness. So since you're on the podcast now and you're uh, your Roadman Cycling Famous, because you are actually the first ever recipient of the Roadman Award, the first yeah. official Roadman. That's the first and last cycling award I will ever win. <laughs> but I wonder, is it? Because this has got me thinking now that you've built this sort of reputation as the Everest dude now. Are you going to put another what? crazy event in your diary and say... I'm going to come back to you in six months and I'm going to talk to you about how I... Yeah, I, th- I think with all due respect, before I get the title as the Everest dude, I probably have to get a bit closer to Ron McLaughlin. Um, but I don't you know, know if he, you do, you know, because it, it's a different... It's different, you know, because Ronan's coming from, like, what did he write, six, seven years with on post where you park a lot of life stuff that you've done during those six, seven years. Some that I can speculate wasn't all that healthy. And... <laughs> You know, he's coming as an ex-pro and attempting it. And it's very different to a working guy who's starting his cycling journey attempting it. I don't think you need to... We don't need to stack well, actually, amateurs up my, against pros in it. My justification, um, I actually said it to, to the club mate, Edwin, who, who did an Everest a couple of years ago. I told him that our Everests were harder than Ronan's because our took, ours took longer. So we rode for longer. So that's my justification. <laughs> 100%. I used to say this to guys doing, like, you'd be out at a 40 kilometer time trial and I'd be in Canada or something. And, you know, I, I might finish it in 50 minutes or something. And someone would be like, oh, I'm wrecked. I don't know how you went so fast. I'm like, of course you're wrecked. You're riding for an extra half hour than I was. <laughs> you know, you're riding just as hard. Like, it, it takes just the same effort to do 50 minutes as it does to do an hour and 20. It's all relevant. That's the, yeah. that's the good thing. And I, I suppose that's the good thing about an Everest or any endurance challenge. You know, it's, it's they're not races. I suppose you have the Donegal 5 for 5 which Ronan obviously won as well. <coughs> um, so is that where you, you, you seem to be drawn to that sort of, I, I don't want to say, it's almost bordering on ultra endurance slash sleep deprivation events. 
Yeah, I suppose I, I, I was actually, I used to be the complete opposite. So I don't know whether it's come with age or what, or whether it's just maybe the lockdowns done with you. But I kind of do like the idea now of these uh, mad spins, you know, and w- what could you do next? Again, the, the same uh, group of guys I spoke about earlier, they're talking about doing a Mizzen to Malin, you know, in the future. So, you know, maybe something like that. What sort of distance um, is that? Uh, God, so five, five, five hundred or five sixty, or it's a big day out. It is a big day out. Uh, big big day out. So we'll come. get you along for that. I think yeah, we should no. do like a roadman cycling Everest. We definitely should put together a crazy roadman cycling event, and you're going to. So it would it. just involve basically you doing it, <laughs> and then we just coming after you. <laughs> We I might get one. We might get one of the other coaches to do it. Everson is not designed for eighty kilogram riders. Although you do well, go downhill very fast when you're eighty kilograms. See, this is the team, you know. Yeah, so I need. Well, one. Well, what made is McKenna? I think we get him to do it. He's very close to the eighty kilogram club as well now. Yeah, well, that's because he's about nine foot tall. Yeah, no, yeah, he's like a shoelace. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's nine foot tall and seventy or eighty kilograms. I meant that in the most complimentary way, Sean. Before you uh, upload my training for next week, uh, Connor, thanks for joining us, and you'll have to pop back next time uh, you do one of these crazy events and inspire slash educate nation, inspire the future. Well, this is it. There is lads sitting out there now going. Fuck. Like I have never related to any of the pro cyclists he's had on, but I relate to Connor. And now I can do it. Genuinely, I'm gonna get 50 Instagram messages about guys who are super motivated by your story. So I know I do like to take the piss out and it's like an Irish thing me and Connor have, but sincerely, congratulations on it, Connor, because it is a super Thank you very much. and you're gonna motivate and you're gonna inspire so many people well, for the story. So thanks very much, and thanks for joining us, and thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for having me. Okay, stop what you're doing. It's Anthony again. I want to talk to you for one second about the next step in the Roadman journey. I'm laying down a challenge for you. It's called the eight week challenge. So for eight weeks, I'm challenging you to be the very best version of yourself, whatever that is. For eight weeks, I want to take you under my wing and I want to personally build for you a customized training plan on our analytics platform. This plan is going to be laser focused on your goal and I'm going to navigate around your life, your work, your social commitments, so don't worry about what your circumstances are right now. I remember after I took some time out of cycling, I went off and thought I was Billy Big Businessman. I came back and I realised I wanted to get into cycling, but I knew after a bit, the training alone, it actually wasn't making me any fitter. I needed an entire system, it needed a 360 overhaul. So for the first time ever, I want to share with you this exact system I used to get back in shape. I'm talking stuff like I'm going to give you my morning routines, the cold therapy I use, the cookbooks and recipes I used, and even the motivational audios I listen to to get back on track. So right now, what I want you to do is pause this audio, go to www.roadmancycling.com forward slash eight week, or check out the link in the bio, click that. So one more time, it's roadmancycling.com forward slash eight week. Chat to you all soon.